All right. Well, good morning, guys. How are you? Good to see everybody. We are in our series, Justified. We're talking about how God takes ordinary, broken people, just people like you and me, but they're justified, not because of what they do, but because of God's work in and through their lives. And on this Father's Day, happy Father's Day, guys. All right. Uh, on this Father's Day, we've got a message that I, I hope and pray is going to speak right to the heart of those of us who are dads, but it's really a message for all of us. We're gonna look at a guy named Gideon and we're gonna see how God takes ordinary broken people and he wants to move us from a place of fear to a place of faith. And I say all the time that following Jesus requires among other things, it requires great courage. We've gotta be willing to step through fear and move toward faith and say, God, whatever the call, I trust you. I'm all in with you, whatever it might be, whatever the call, whatever the cost. And we see with this guy named Gideon, God moving him from a place of fear to courage. Lord, I'm going to follow you in faith. Now, all of us, we want to make a difference in the world. We don't want to waste this life. We only get it one time. We don't want to get to the end of our life and be like, man, I just, I missed it. We want to make a difference. And there's some questions we can ask ourselves as we go through life if we really want to make a difference. So I thought about one of the questions that we need to be asking is, how am I leading others to Jesus and a more fruitful life? Uh, and this is where we join with God, where we're able to say, God, I am making a difference in the world by, and then fill in the blank, like by sharing the gospel, by loving my family, by reaching out to others, by serving in my church. God, I'm making a difference because you are working in and through my life and I'm joining with you. But we can't stop there. We also have to ask the question, with whom do I have influence? If I wanna make a difference in the world, the question needs to be, who am I doing it with? And so this is where I say, God, because you're working in my life, I'm making a difference with friends, with classmates, with coworkers, with family, with people in my community. But we can't stop there. There's one more question we gotta ask, and that's, who am I becoming? And this is where we say, God, I'm making a difference because. Because you're shaping me, because you're working in me, because you're calling me, because I'm not the same person today that I was yesterday. That's why, you know, it's so important for us to focus on this because we're called human beings, right? Not human doings. That we need to focus on, Lord, who am I becoming? Who am I being in you? And all of it points to this reality. God, I want to make a difference in the world. I, I, I want to live a life with purpose. I don't want to waste this life. But the reality is, is that some of us might look at where we are in our life today and we're not really living a life of influence. We're living a life maybe of a place where we're just disappointed with who we are and what we're experiencing. And the reason that we might be experiencing that is because of where we begin, where we build our foundation. We need to understand where we start is going to have a major impact on where we end up. So if we think about our life as a pyramid and we're building our life on a foundation, we would realize today that while some of us are experiencing influence, some of us are experiencing disappointment. That we look at our life 
and the way we live and the results of our life and, and what we're doing with our life. And, and we're just disappointed. Maybe we're disappointed with ourselves. Maybe we're disappointed with others. Maybe we're disappointed with our circumstances. And then there are others of us who, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of our past, regardless of our struggles, we are pressing on and we say, God, I want to have influence in your name and the world around me. Now, the reason that many of us are experiencing disappointment is because we're living our life based on pride. We're all focused on us. We're, we're not thinking about what could God do? What does God want? How is God moving? It's just, what can I do? What, what do I need? What do I want? But those of us who are experiencing influence, we're building our life not on pride, but on character. God, what are you doing in me? Not what can I do? What can I make happen? What do I need? But God, what are you doing to change me, to shape me, to make me who I am? And understanding that God has a greater work to do in us than we could ever manufacture on our own. God wants to build our character, not our environment. Right? Well, many of us, the reason that we have pride taking over is because we've chosen self-serving behaviors. Uh, rather than asking God, what do you want to do for others? How can I bless the people around me? How can I live for you? It's God, I, I need to take care of me. I need to take care of my circumstances. I need to take care of my environment. Lord, help me to, to make sure that everything is good, good and safe and okay with my circle, with my world, with my home. And that's going to lead us to pride. But others of us are not focused on that, but we're saying, God, I just want to be obedient Regardless of the outcome, regardless of what I'm going through, regardless of what the results might be, God, just give me a heart of obedience to follow after you. Now, how is it that we can choose that versus the self-serving? Well, we're going to find ourselves living in the self-serving way when we look at the challenges of life as trials rather than tests. Every single one of us, we're gonna go through hard stuff. We're gonna go through illnesses. We're gonna go through broken relationships. We're gonna go through broken circumstances. We're gonna lose a job. We're gonna have something happen to us. We're gonna have consequences of other people's decisions and our own decisions. And we have a choice in that moment. Am I gonna see it as just a trial? This is just hard. And the point of it is I just gotta get through it to the other side. Or do I look at the challenges of my life and say, God, this is a moment where I can be tested to grow in my faithfulness. And how I choose to respond is more important than getting to the other side. Because God wants to do something in me through that. Now, how do I choose to see it as a test rather than a trial? Well, it's based on the foundation. Am I living on a foundation of fear or a foundation of faith? Because if I'm living out of a foundation of fear, all, every challenge is going to be a threat and it's going to be a trial that I've got to get past as quickly as possible. But if I'm living out of faith, God, you are good and you are God and you are in it and you are working. Regardless of what I might see in the moment, I can trust you. And so, God, I don't have to get through it as fast as possible. I just have to see it as a test of my faith. I'm going to be obedient. And in that, you're building my character and I can have influence in the world. As followers of Jesus, we want to live on this, this side of the equation. But to do that, I've got to say, Lord, would you put a root of faith in my heart? As a human being, God, I'm so tempted 
I'm so geared to live in fear. Life is threatening. There's not enough. Uh, I'm not sure what might happen in my future. But God, I don't want to live in fear. I want to live in faith because at the end of the day, I want to have a life of purpose. All right, dads online, dads in the room, this is critical for us. You wanna lead your family, you wanna make a difference in the world, you wanna change your family tree, you wanna have a legacy, it all starts with where you put your base. I can be fearful of not having enough or not being enough or not knowing where it might lead or I can say, God, my only choice is to trust you and I'm gonna be obedient and you're gonna work in my heart, you're gonna be a character that leaves, leads on to the next generation and changes the world because of what you start to do in my heart. This is a critical difference that we, we choose, Lord, how I wanna follow you. And this base of fear does not have to be our reality. We don't have to live on fear. We can live in faith and saying, God, I don't know where it's leading, but I know that you're already there, so I trust you. And this is exactly what we see with Gideon. Now, don't be mistaken. It's not anything really that Gideon does on his own. Gideon doesn't show up in the picture as a man of faith. It's quite the opposite. We meet Gideon as a man of fear. And God reaches into his world and says, Gideon, this is not who you were created to be. You are meant to be a man of courage, to live with impact and influence, to make a difference in the world. Let me lead you and pull you out of this place of fear into a place of faith where I can do something with your life. Now the question is for us, how does God do this? Because I can tell you after walking with Jesus uh, for a long time now, is that the God who was is the same God who is, he's the same God who will be, and he does not change. And what he wanted to do in the life of Gideon, he wants to do in your life and my life, uh, pulling us out of a place of fear into a place of faith. So how does he do that? Well, as we look through, we're gonna look in Judges 6 through 8, Judges chapter 6 through 8, we're gonna see some things that God does that he wants to do with us. And here's the first one, is we're gonna see that God, we need to realize that God makes the first move. Gideon does not call out to God and say, God, I realize now that I've been in the wrong and our only hope is you. And I'm, I know that you got a calling on my life and I'm ready to go all in. That is not what happens. Rather, God looks at Gideon and his circumstance and where he is, and God makes the first move. And God shows up and says, Gideon, I've been watching you, and I've seen what's going on with the people of Israel, and I'm ready to make a move, not really only for your good, but ultimately for my glory. And Gideon, I know you don't understand it yet, but I got a purpose for your life, and it's time for you to get ready, because we're going to get going. And that's what God does in our life. If you are here today or you're watching online and you're a follower of Jesus, it's because God made the first move. God came into your life and, and put a, a longing in your heart. He allowed circumstances to happen. He put relationships around you so that you could see and hear and understand the gospel and say yes to Jesus. Yeah, you had a choice, but God allowed it to happen. And this is what we see. And so we pick up in Judges chapter six, starting in verse 11. This is what it says. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, to this point, Israel has been in some very big trouble. We've got two groups of people working together, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and they are attacking and they're attacking and they're attacking. So much so that the people have gotten to a point where they're hiding out in caves. Uh, they can't live out in the open. They, they have crops and the people come and take them or they burn them or they destroy them and they're killing people. And the people are living not in faith, but in fear. And it says that the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. Now, when we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord, what we're talking about is a physical manifestation of God himself. I would argue to you that this is the second person of Trinity. This is Jesus showing up in the life of Gideon. God making the first move, calling out to Gideon. And where does God find Gideon? Is he on the battlefield? No. Oh. Is in the town gates rallying the people. We've got to make a change. We've got to live. God is with us. No, it says he's threshing wheat in a wine press. Now this is significant because in a normal situation, you would never thresh wheat in a wine press. The reason is when you're threshing wheat, what you're doing is you're going up on a high place, usually a stone foundation, and you're taking the wheat and you're beating it on the ground and then you're throwing it up in the air so that the chaff of the wheat can be caught in the wind and then you have the good stuff on the ground and the bad stuff taken away. But a wine press is dug out. And this is gonna be really, really difficult work for Gideon. He's down in a hole trying to thresh Wheat, trying to throw it up in the air high enough to catch wind, and he's probably not making a whole lot of progress. Now, why is he down in a wine press? Because he's afraid that the Amalekites and the Midianites are going to show up, and they're not only going to take what he has, but kill him in the process. And yet God shows up and he says, Gideon, you mighty man. And this is so ironic, right? That here Gideon is living in fear and God is speaking a prophetic word into his future saying, this is not who you're going to be. This is not who I made you to be. Not because Gideon is ready, but because God makes the first move. And he's calling Gideon. Now, don't miss this. In this moment, God himself is speaking identity into Gideon. Following Jesus is the only worldview, it is the only faith in all the world, in all of history and all future to come where we don't achieve our identity, but we receive it. Every other worldview, every other religion is about do this and do this and be good enough and mark the box and follow the rules and you will achieve some kind of identity, some kind of reward. But God says, no, you don't achieve it. You receive it. That when Jesus died on the cross and he gave his blood, he did what only he could do that we could receive. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter of God. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And that is absolutely critical. And that's where God begins with Gideon. It's where God begins with you and me. When he makes a first move, he speaks into us the reality of who we are and what he's done. But Gideon struggles with this, right? And he begins to argue with God and he makes two critical mistakes. The first is that Gideon thinks, you know what, God, if you were with us, then life wouldn't be this hard. 
the first mistake Gideon makes is believing that God's presence means that, God, that life isn't hard, that there are no challenges. Well, we already talked about that every one of us are going to experience challenges. It's just whether or not you see it as just a trial or an opportunity to grow in your faith and in obedience and God to work in it and move and do something that only God can do. But Gideon has written God off because life was hard. Sorry, buddy, life is hard. Get up, get going. Let's put on your big boy pants and let's move forward. The second mistake that Gideon makes is he thinks when God, he just goes right past it. God, this is so hard. You can't be with us. And God just kind of ignores that and says, Gideon, get up. I got something for you to do. And Gideon's response, his second big mistake, he's like, God, how can I do this? Gideon thinks that it's about what he does rather than what God does about his power and ability rather than God's power and ability. And God is going to have to take Gideon on a journey to realize those two mistakes. Life is going to be hard, but I'm in it. I redeem it. And it's not about you. And every bit of it is allowed by God or sometimes even caused by God to accomplish God's purpose. That's what we need to realize. All the hard stuff. Now, God doesn't cause evil. He doesn't cause bad things. But you know what? Sometimes God causes challenges and God allows things, consequences of our sin, consequences of the broken world to happen so that he can get into our lives and change us and shape us and transform us. All the stuff of life, the good and the difficult, is moving us toward God's purpose for us if we will let it. And that's what God wants to do in Gideon's life. But here's the thing. If God's going to do that, God's got to deal with some things, some remove some things from Gideon's life so that Gideon can be in a position to move toward that purpose. And that's a, the second truth for us is that sometimes I need to get rid of the competition. There are things competing for God's place in my life and God's purposes in my life. And God would speak to me. He's made the first move and he says, all right, your response now is to get rid of the competition. And it's all happening in God's plan and God's timing. But we got to make a move of response. And God's about to call Gideon and he says, listen, the first thing I want you to do before we deal with the problems before we get rid of the trouble, we need to get rid of the idols. And God's going to call Gideon to deal with some of the idols in his world. So we pick up in chapter 6, verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Now, let me just pause here for just a second, because this is amazing. How long has Israel been in trouble with the Midianites? Seven years. Seven years ago, when the trouble was just getting started, God was already providing for the, the redemption that would come. Take that bull, that, that cow that's seven years old that I brought to life seven years ago because I knew I'd be standing here with you right now, Gideon. In God's timing. And he says, tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, see that fear is still creeping in. 
because he was afraid of them. He did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with Asherah pole beside it, cut down and a second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. Now, this is what I would call, and I've experienced this as a father, and I'm sure my parents experienced it when I was growing up. This is what I call partial obedience. All right. I told you to do something. You didn't really want to do it, but you kind of sort of did it just enough to get by, right? And that's what kind of what Gideon does. Like, all right, God, I'm going to do this, but you know what? I'm afraid of those folks over there, so I'm going to do this at night. And Gideon is not costing God anything. We need to understand that. Our partial obedience is not impacting God whatsoever. God's going to do what God's going to do. But Gideon is missing out in his own life to see God show up in the daylight and show the people and Gideon just who he is. And this is what Gideon's missing out on. But he, nevertheless, he does it. He does it at night. And, and you know what? What Gideon was trying to avoid the consequences, they were waiting for him in the morning. Like, that's what happens to us. Like, well, I'm going to do it this way so that I can kind of avoid some of that trouble. And then we find out all the trouble is waiting for us in the morning. And the God who could have dealt with it then, he's perfectly capable of dealing with it now. And so he stirs the heart of Gideon's father and Gideon's father says to the people, listen, you don't touch this boy. You let Baal defend himself. And I would encourage us to let our idols of life, anything that is competing with God, put it to the test and let it defend itself. It won't be able to do it. When we, we look at the idols of money put it to the test and realize that it won't bring peace. It won't ultimately bring security. I think about the idol of popularity. And at the end of the day, it doesn't bring worth. It's just like this treadmill you got to keep running on. I think about the idol of pleasure and we think it's going to bring satisfaction, but what it really brings is slavery when we give ourselves over to it. Or I think about the idol for me, a big one is people pleasing. And what I've come to realize is when I give myself over to people pleasing, there are no people that are really pleased. And every single one of these things that we give our lives to, there's this irony to it that these idols promise freedom, but what they give us is slavery. And yet God says, lay down your life and follow me and submit to your, yourself to me and I will give you freedom. God's got to move in our life to get rid of the competition and say, follow after me. But God doesn't stop there. God continues to pull Gideon along, telling him he's got some work to do. And he says, Gideon, I need you to respond. And we realize here that growing in faith requires acts of faith. At some point along this journey, Gideon's gonna have to do something and do it in faith. But this is where Gideon's struggling. So God, you know, God's like, Gideon, get up. I got something to do in your life. And it's not just for you, it's for my people. And listen, Gideon's not familiar with seeing God. He hasn't spent time with God. He hasn't tried to listen to the voice of God. 
And so when God does show up and God does speak, he doesn't know what to do with it. The same thing will happen with us. If you don't spend time with the Lord, if you don't get into his word, you don't spend time with him in prayer, it doesn't mean that God's not gonna speak, but it means when God does speak, you're not gonna know what to do with it. And that's where Gideon is. He's like, I don't know what to do with this. Can I trust you? Here, I I know what we'll do, God. Listen, I'm gonna lay a fleece out on the ground. And in the morning, if this is really you and I can really trust you, when I wake up in the morning, the ground's gonna be dry and the fleece is gonna be wet. God doesn't reprimand him. He says, okay, I can work with that. He wakes up in the morning and just like Gideon asked, the fleece is wet, the, the ground is dry. And many of us would be like, whoa, this is amazing. Okay, God, not Gideon. Gideon's like, okay. Maybe that was just kind of like a coincidence. Let's do it this way. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, let's let the fleece be dry dry and the ground be wet. You know, if I've got him, be like, you know, slapping this guy around, like what's wrong with you? But, But God doesn't reprimand him. God is gracious and loving. He's bringing him along. He says, okay, Gideon. Sure enough, he wakes up in the morning and the fleece is dry. The ground is wet. And Gideon's like, okay, all right. And he's kind of like stumbling along. He's still not all in yet. God's still got some work to do. And so we pick up in Judges chapter 7, verse 7. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. So what's happening here, Gideon had an army of over 22,000 men. Gideon, with this great army, is still struggling to trust God. And God says, okay, Gideon, here's what we're going to do. I want you to tell all the men who are afraid to go home. And 22,000 men go home. Y'all, this is why they were where they were. They had a foundation of fear rather than a foundation of faith. So 22,000 go home, and then God says, oh, it's, it's, we still got to narrow it down some more. And so send the guys to the, to the lake and have them drink water, and the ones who lap it up with their hands, send them away. And everybody who drinks straight from the water, that's who you keep. And Gideon's going to land with 300 men that he keeps. And then we keep going, verse nine. During that, the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I'm getting, going to give into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, God knows Gideon's still struggling with this foundation of fear. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, and this is super encouraging if you're the Midianite, 
This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. So Gideon is still afraid even after all these signs. And God realizes it and God says, okay, I'm gonna work with you, Gideon. What I want you to do is take your friend Pura and go down to the Midianite camp. Now, why does he need to take Pura with him? For no other reason than Gideon is still afraid, right? And sometimes when we're fearful, we need somebody to walk with us. And so he goes down and the irony here is, is that God is gonna speak through the enemy in a dream, knowing that Gideon's still at a place where he's more likely to listen to the enemy than he is to God. But he hears the dream and he, he finally is able to a place where he can have faith. And what does he do? He finally chooses to act on faith. He's got 300 men. They're probably untrained. They don't know what to do. They're not armed with camels and, and, and battle equipment. Rather, they're armed with torches and trumpets. And they go into and battle and Gideon says, time to fight, guys, we can do it. There's no guarantee it's not logical, but finally Gideon realizes if I'm gonna grow in faith, I need to act with faith. And that's what some of us need to realize today. We're praying, God, help me to believe. God, give me some faith. And God's saying, I'm telling you to come along. And as you go, I will build your faith. Guys, that's what faith is. Faith is not a guarantee. Faith is saying, I'm gonna take a step and I don't know where it's gonna lead. And as I step, God will grow me and grow me and grow me in faith. And what does God do? God takes that act of faith and he's growing, getting up and he brings victory. And there's not even a battle. The men gather around the camp. They smash these pots and they have these torches and they blow trumpets and the spirit of God comes and he confuses the, the enemy army and they're killing each other. Gideon doesn't have to do anything. God brings the victory. And sometimes I wonder in my own life, what is it gonna take for me to realize that that is a reality, <laughs> that God brings the victory? I can manipulate and I can orchestrate and I can drink all these things that I'm trying to make happen when it's God who brings the victory. And God moves. And this is the, the triumph. This is the mountaintop moment that some of us experience. But guess what? This is the most dangerous moment of all. And what I don't want for us, and I'm especially thinking of the, those dads in the room and watching, I don't want us to make the same get mistake that Gideon made. When we see God move, I don't want us to do what he did. And what did he do? We've got to resist moving from faith to foolishness. So what Gideon did is he saw God move, he saw the victory, and he thought he did it. Gideon, don't miss this, he confused God's power with his own power. In other words, Gideon began to read his own press. Perhaps one of the greatest tests of faith that we'll ever have in life is success. You're doing good at your job. You're doing good at home. You're doing good with your kids. You're doing good financially. You're doing good in the, the goals that you set for your life. 
Don't move from faith to foolishness because you're seeing some victories in your life. It wasn't you who brought it. It's God allowing it and moving in your life because he wants to position you for influence in the world. Continue to understand that we are servants of God, not the other way around. But Gideon missed it. So we go on through the story and we see Gideon not responding with faith, but he starts to respond with vengeance because he thinks it's all about him. We keep reading in the story. In, in Judges 8, verse 22, it says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the, the land of, hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So he's saying the right things. But is he doing the right things? That's what, the key. He says, and he said, I do have one request. Uh-oh that each of you give me an earring from your share of the plunder. It was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. And so Gideon wants to gather these. And they answered, we'll be glad to give them. So they spread out a garment and each of them threw a ring from his plunder into it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for came to 1,700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian or the chains that were on their camel's necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod. This is a religious chest plate, which he placed in Ophrah, his town. All Israel prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Leading up to this moment, Gideon's chasing after the, the Midianite kings, and he comes to a town named Succoth and he says, give us some bread so we can go chase these guys down. And the, the leaders of that town say, we, we don't really know you. You've, you've got no reputation. We, there's nothing that tells us that we should trust in you. Uh, we're not gonna put ourselves in danger. And he says, okay, I'm gonna remember that. And then he goes on to a place called Peniel and he gets the same reaction. And so he goes through these towns and he says, I'm gonna remember that. And then he gets to the Midianite kings and he finds them, and rather than just imprisoning them, he says, hey, do you remember what you did to these people? And guess what? Those people were my brothers. And not out of principle or justice, but out of vengeance, because it was all about Gideon now. He tortures and kills these kings. He goes back to Peniel. He brings down a tower. He kills the people of that town. He goes to Succoth and he tortures them with thorns and then he kills them. Not because God told him to. Never in the story we told that Gideon says, God, what do you want me to do? Never. It's all about Gideon at this point. Gideon moves from a place where he says, God, I can't do this. I don't deserve to be called to getting to a place where he looks at the people around me and says, how dare you treat me that way? I don't deserve that. Somewhere along the way, because of God's power, Gideon got it confused and thought it was about him. And he moved from faith to foolishness. And he says the right things. A lot of us are saying the right things. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm a Jesus follower and I'm doing the right thing. And, and we, you know, talk about other people's sins or organizations' sins and we boycott and we talk about people and, and we say stuff, all the right things, but what's happening in our heart? Gideon said, I'm not gonna rule over you. But here's the test. It's kind of like hidden in the story. We find out that Gideon has a son 
and his son's name is Abimelech. You know what the word Abimelech means? It means my father is king. Gideon's saying the right things, but doing something altogether different because he made it all about him. God had been patient with him, brought him along, gave him an identity, called him into purpose, brought him victory, moved him from fear to faith. And then for some reason, Gideon thought that he made it happen the whole time. Don't make that mistake. Here's what it boils down to is I got to know who I am and know who God is. And listen, I don't, I don't know what end of the spectrum you might be on today, but you are neither awful or awesome. You have incredible sacred worth and purpose because God is awesome. And God speaks to you and says, I sent my son Jesus to die for you. It's not about you being enough or figuring it out. It's about the blood of Jesus poured out for you that you could be called a son or a daughter of the king and brought in to his kingdom work. Not achieved, but received. And God is only asking us one thing, is to receive that call. You don't have faith yet? That's okay. God is faithful. Look, God's faithfulness does not depend on yours. He's gonna show up first and he's gonna call you and he says, just take a step. And with that one little step of faith, that act of faith, God is gonna grow faith in you and me. So let me ask you this question. What is your act of faith. You don't have to figure it all out. You don't have to get out of debt today or fix your marriage today or, or leave your job and, and become a missionary today. Uh, just one act of faith. Maybe it's to get rid of the, some competition in your life, some idol that you've bought into that's promised freedom, but it's bringing slavery. Maybe it's to, to take a step of, of faithfulness and obedience to trust a word that God has given you and to just move one step toward that. What is your act of faith? I'm speaking to everybody, but let me just for a moment. Men, dads, do you wanna leave a legacy? Listen, it is not about you or your ability or your understanding. It's about taking one act of faith after another. One step of faith after another. And it starts right now. What's that gonna be? So I'm gonna pray for us. If you'll stand, we're gonna sing. And we're gonna praise God for the blood of Jesus, for the way that he makes where there is no way. And as we sing, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would convict us of that one act of faith to move toward him and see the victory that God's gonna bring. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, for your power and your victory. Thank you that you've made the first move toward us. 
Every one of us here listening, watching in the room, we're here because you made a move toward us. You called out to us. You told us who we are. God, help us to believe it. We're sons and daughters that when we receive by faith, Jesus as Lord, what he's done for us, we step into a whole new kingdom. And we begin to see the God of the universe show up and show out. So give us that faith, Lord, and help us to just move toward you. Thank you for your grace and bringing us along. Forgive us for our disobedience. Keep growing us, Lord, and who we are and what you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to sing one more song. These prayer rails are available. If you want to take an act of faith today, I would encourage you to come and meet with the Lord. You don't even have to know what that act is. Just say, Lord, I'm ready. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready. Wives, you want to pray over your husband and father to your children? Come and pray for them. You want to pray for your dad out of gratitude or, or need God to move? Come and pray. You got something going on in your life and, and you need to see it as a, a test and not a trial. Come and pray. And let's invite the Holy Spirit to work in this moment and say, Lord, I'm ready. Will you lead me? And I'll take that step. Let's sing together.